Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Minoya. Join me each week as Susanna Fleming and I probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Hey everyone, Susanna here with the next episode of Anchored and Reaching. And in a little bit, we're going to jump onto a conversation with Kevin where we continue to explore the edges of our faith. This is for people who are curious, who want to stay rooted in their faith, but also really understand why they believe what they believe. And today we're talking about scripture as a source of truth, but how scripture needs to be supported by other God-given sources of truth for us to make sure that we're staying on the right track. One example we bring up is slavery and how people genuinely believed that slavery was supported by scripture. And without these other sources of truth, we struggle to live out our Christian faith well. So I'm going to jump in and I hope that you join us and write down all your questions and send them to us as we continue this conversation. Well, it's really great to be back with all of you, and I'm glad you're joining us, uh, joining Suzanne and me in this conversation. Today, we want to continue on this series of The Word is More Than Words. And today, particularly, I wanted to dial in a little bit for a few minutes on the role of the Bible in finding truth. And now some of you may ask the question, well, why are you even asking that question? Or why are you even bringing that up? Because after all, isn't the Bible the source of all truth? Well, in some ways it is. But in reality, there are an awful lot of questions about life that are not covered in the Bible. And although that may shock some people, uh, it is in fact the truth. So what I'd like to introduce into your thinking is a phrase that may help you think through how to use the Bible in finding truth. And the phrase I want to use is this idea of the primacy of Scripture, the primacy of Scripture. And what that means is that the Bible is the primary source of truth in particular things, like in matters of faith and living or faith and life. But there are a lot of areas that the Scriptures just simply don't speak to us, and we have to use other means to derive truth or to derive right actions or right decisions. So how do we find that truth and how do we discover how to make decisions about life, about uh, about what is right and what is wrong? Well, there are other sources that we look to and, uh, and the Bible or scripture is the primary source for giving us these principles that have come down through millennia inspired by God through faithful servants. But then there are other sources that we look to. So for example, uh, we look to experience. What is the experience that we see in the patterns of God working through people in history? What is the experience that you may have? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you have a particular experience that somehow you impose that on other people, but it is to say that God is an active God and God works through the experience of his children, collectively his children, corporately his children, 
to determine that this is verifiably something that comes from God. And so we we think about, okay, what is my experience with God? How has he acted in the past? And how does that help me understand then how he will act in the future? Is this decision or is the experience I'm having right now consistent with how God has acted in the past? So we look to experience. Uh, we look to whether or not, the, the as the Bible says, my spirit or his spirit bears witness with my spirit that truly I am a child of God, to quote Paul out of Romans, right? So that experience. And then there's another source that we call tradition. Now, now tradition here is not referring to the tradition of an individual family about like, well, we open our Christmas presents on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas morning. Tradition is a capital T here, the tradition of the church, the traditions of the church, which is why, frankly, we often look back to the great creeds, the historic creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, other creeds of the church historically to help us understand whether something is right or whether it is outside the bounds of Christian faith. We look to those creeds because they represent the great tradition of the church and Since then, over the last couple of millennia, those truths have actually then, um, they have actually been verified or they have actually been corroborated or repeated. And we've seen the pattern of historic Christian tradition uh, that verifies that something that is happening in our Christian faith is right, it is true. It is pointing us to God. So we look at tradition. And then, frankly, folks, we, we also look to reason. And now by reason, what I mean is our intellectual capacity to think through a knotty issue, a, a tough issue. You know, when you're confronted with a hard decision, don't throw your brains out. You know, engage it. Think about it. Um, I've, I've heard some people say that often when, when, um, when people in church boards walk in the door, it's like they're really brilliant people in their careers outside the walls of the church. They walk in the church and they check their brains at the door and somehow they just, they, they, they stop thinking. Well, they're, they're just looking for this ethereal, well, God, write it on the wall, tell us what to do. Well, God looks at us and says, look, I gave you a brain. I gave you reasoning power. I gave you rational abilities. So think it through. What are the right things to do in this case? What makes sense from a stewardship standpoint? You can determine whether investing here is going to have greater kingdom impact or investing over there is going to have greater kingdom impact. You can use your reasoning powers to think through how something should happen or you can think through reasonably a decision that you need to make about your own life. So use your brain. Use your rational power. These are are what we often call four sources of truth, and um, those we really derive through a lot of history in the church. Most notably, we see these things percolating up in the life of, of a man by the name of John Wesley. And he didn't, he didn't name these in particular, but we see derived from his life and his writing and his preaching these as sources of truth. How do we know if 
something is true? Well, this is what often we call the quadrilateral. You get the word. Quadra means four. Lateral means side. The the four-sided approach to understanding what is truth. And really, uh, it wasn't really codified or it wasn't really developed until just a few decades ago. A man by the name of Albert Outler in Dallas, um, a professor, a theology professor, really is the one who who put the word quadrilateral into our, our vocabulary. And what he's attempting to do is say, look, folks, the, the scriptures are the primary source of truth. But don't limit your search for truth to just the singular Bible or the Bible alone. And now that stands in contradistinction to a pattern of thinking that calls for what is called sola scriptura, the only the Bible. In other words, you and at the very extreme, uh, there are often times when people will say, uh, if it's not in the Bible, if I if I don't see it in the Bible, then it must not be true. Well, um, <clears throat> that's really a false starting point because it denies the very creation of God in how he made us to pursue God, to pursue truth, and to pursue living out that truth on the anvil of reality. You see, the, the, the scriptures were written many years ago. They give us this witness, this, this witness to Jesus Christ, this pointing us to God. But, it, but the scriptures need to be taken and applied in contextual circumstances. And often the scriptures don't tell us about some of the circumstances we deal with today. So we need to interface. We need to co-mingle. We need to bring all of these together and begin to see how they fit. And is there coherence? Are they in alignment? Do they support one another? Now, the reason I use the word primacy of Scripture is that if if Scripture is just on an equal level with experience, tradition, and reason, well, then Scripture could be subordinated to my experience, or Scripture could be subordinated to my reason. And I could say, you know, the Bible says X, Y, and Z about how to be filled with the Spirit, or how I should live my Christian lifestyle, or how I should live out my sexuality, or whatever, whatever. But my reason tells me that I can do it differently today. And what that does is that subsumes Scripture under reason. And in fact, what we do when when I say the primacy of Scripture, we're saying, no, if our reason is not in alignment with the principles of Scripture, then our reason is the thing that we discard, or our reason is the thing that we lay aside, and we realign or we recalibrate our reason into conformity with the principles of Scripture. And the same thing would be true of tradition, uh, what we derive from historic Christian tradition or what we uh, derive from, from our experience. So these things work together but we always hold Scripture in the prime uh, role. In other words, it's like uh, experience, tradition, and reason. They always are, are, are sub- sublimated or they all bow at the bar of Scripture. But in finding truth, in finding out how I live, 
I bring all of these together as sources of helping to inform my life on a daily basis. Now, lately, in the last few years, there are some who are saying, you know, there's another one that we should add on here and, and add make this a pentalateral, a five-sided, and that would be creation. And there's a lot of debate over that, and, and I think you can understand why. But let's just make sure that we understand that there are multiple sources of truth, but we do commit ourselves to what we call the primacy of Scripture. So hopefully that helps to inform. And now, Suzanne, I, I, I would love your thoughts on this and how this might, uh, how you see this might play out in our daily living and even in our community living in the life of engaging culture. Yeah, well, this is one of my favorite topics. One of the things that I learned when I was in undergraduate um, university uh, was the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is what we're talking about right now. And I think it's important that we start with why this is really, really important as we're having this discussion. Um, One example that is just really resonant with me is that Oftentimes growing up, I thought about the North and the South fighting over slavery as the Christians in the North protecting people and the, you know, heathens in the South who were pushing (laughs) for slavery. The reality is that's not what happened. A huge part of that conversation were Christians in both the North and the South using scripture to justify their cause and Mm -hmm. their vantage point. So you had what I would call, I mean, some faithful Christians in the South, but they were looking at the Bible and they were seeing that slavery was present and that when Paul was addressing the different churches, he talked about slaves submitting to their masters and they were taking that literally. They were looking at scripture. They weren't using um, reason. They weren't, maybe they were using some tradition, but they were basically doing this sola scripture thing. This is what the Bible says, AKA this is the truth. Now on this side of history, we recognize that the Bible does not support slavery at all. But if you take the Bible at face value and you separate it from reason, tradition, experience, you end up with some dangerous modes of thinking. Another example would be uh, Abraham and how he went to sacrifice his son Isaac. You could look at that apart from a lot of other factors and you could say, okay, well, maybe God condones that in all cases. And all of a sudden you have a religious experience where you feel like God tells you to go sacrifice your son. Okay, but that's separated from reason. It's separated from tradition because we know that the church fathers and mothers and people throughout history have not supported that. So the important thing here is that we understand when we read scripture, which is a prime, a prime, primary, (laughs) you Uh said primacy, a, a primary source of truth. It is supported by these things, reason, tradition, experience. If you read it separate from those things, you have a huge problem. And on the other side, if if you only look to church tradition to inform your theology and you don't wrestle faithfully with scripture or you don't allow yourself to have your own individual experience with God, you're going to have an imbalanced faith. I think um, the Wesleyan quadrilateral came with that metaphor of the table. So it's like a, a table that's on three legs and the table itself, the tabletop is scripture, but It has three legs to hold it up. And if one of those legs breaks off, you have a broken table that falls over. 
So that is the reason why this is so important as we're searching truth. If we have sola scriptura, we actually don't have anything that we can faithfully live out a Christian life with. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I would say what you're suggesting there as well is that if we are removing some of these other uh, legitimate and, by the way, God-created yeah. sources of truth. I mean, these these also, these are not sort of human inventions. God gave us the ability to experience. God gave us, you know, time. God, God has used time and tradition to shape his people. And God gave us reason. If we eliminate those as possible uh, sources of truth to inform together with scripture, then all of a sudden what we're left with is scripture alone. And often that's reduced to the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And then we just have the Bible, and that then leads the human mind into a process of deriving principle, uh, uh, principles and propositions that require assent and conformity. So now our Christian faith becomes simply um, living up to an intellectual assent to a proposition, Right. So it leads to more propositional Christian faith. So that would mean like reading the Bible and trying to understand what it says and then living up to that. Is that what you're saying? Uh, Yes, exactly. A prescriptive approach. So I read Mm -hmm. the Bible and I see that it says this, therefore I have to conform my life to that proposition. Instead of saying, wait a minute, there is a principle here that I need to embody through my experience and I need to reasonably live it out in my daily life. Right, And I've seen how the life of the church has formed over years, how God formed his people, and that principle becomes embodied through an integration of all of those things. So I put the legs back under the tabletop, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a more... If we're going to live out scripture like we're called to, we need to live out the principles, not just the statements. And the examples I gave before are the exact reason. Scripture is meant to be integrated into our life. It's meant to be incarnational, just like God came to earth in man, and he was both God and human. Like that is what scripture is. It's divine, and it's meant to be lived out in our day-to-day lives. So it has to be lived out through principle. The only way we can really derive these principles is through the things that we mentioned before. And just for a quick second, I think we should talk about you, you mentioned an overview of like what tradition is, what reason is, what experience mm-hmm. is, but let's just give really point blank examples. So you uh, said we look for things that are mentioned in the Bible, but not everything's mentioned in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not right. in there. The principle of the Trinity, there's this overview of the Trinity we can derive from Scripture, but guess who did that? It was the early church fathers in councils, and that tradition has been passed down over time. If you go into a church today and you say, well, the Trinity doesn't exist, you're going to be deemed a heretic. You're going to be outside of orthodoxy, but that's a tradition um, description. That's coming from tradition. And scripture, right? So that would be an example of tradition. Do you have examples yes. of the other two? Well, well, I mean, you're you're doing you're you're pointing it up exactly right because what we tend to do is we tend to derive principles from scripture, and then what we do is we put a name to it, we codify it, and mm-hmm. that actually then becomes what we hold up as our holy grail. 
Right. Um, now, to 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 do uh, to take that one step further, we do that with the Trinity, as you've correctly mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. The Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, but we derive principles, which is why I like to use the phrase. We live lives that are scripturally principled. Some people prefer the phrase Bible-based. I tend to skew that because it tends to limit it to uh, almost a biblicism. Scripturally principled means we derive principles from it. Um, You know, frankly, we could even use the Bible as an example of this because you know, what happened before the Bible was canonized. Right. You know, I mean... Tradition well, canonized the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> so we have a process here where reason and experience all came to a point where it canonized certain writings that were considered scripture into what we call the Bible. And now we appeal to that process as a representation of our tradition. So, you know, there are, there are many examples, as you've correctly noted. I mean, even the, even the term the quadrilateral is sometimes used among some people as this, this grail, this, this bauble that we hold up and we say, well, we're going to talk about the quad. You know, you just kind of mm-hmm. shorten it, the quad. Well, what is that? I mean, it's, it's really a human construct attempting to distill some big ideas into, uh, into digestible bites, mm-hmm. so to speak. So yeah. we tend to do that throughout our human nature. And we've got to make sure we zoom out and we say, wait a minute. Again, based on our previous episode, God has expressed himself in so many different ways. Let's not lose the fullness of God in our rush to try to conform it into our own human capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tradition, like we're talking about, is basically faithful or you're wrestling in community and things being passed down through generations. Um, experience. So if you have ever had any type of experience with God, whether it was an emotional worship experience, whether it was a moment in prayer where you felt a peace in your soul, whether it was a situation where you felt discernment or you decided to go in a particular direction based on what you felt was the leading of the Holy Spirit, what can we do with those experiences? to make sure that we're on the right track, right? Well, we can lean them up against scripture, and we should, by the way. We can lean them up against um, history and tradition and what other people have articulated were their experiences. And we can use reason in our mind to process whether or not that would make sense in the context of all of those things. And experience is a really important part of faith. Reason is also an important part of faith. So this is kind of like a philosophy conversation, but humans are the only creatures on earth that were created with the capacity to fully reason. And a lot of people say that is what is part of being created in the image of God Mm -hmm. is that ability to fully reason. And so this is something like Kevin said, that's God given. He gave us created in his image to reason so that we can more fully pursue and understand who God is. And so if we throw that out the window, if we go into a church service, and we listen to the message word for word and we say, check, that must be it, then we're not faithfully living out our Christian call. Mm-hmm. So those are just pointed examples of what those things are so we can more fully understand them. Yeah. So if somebody has a particular experience, maybe it's a very warming experience that they have in church or in a worship moment, 
And um, I guess the question, and, it, and it's unusual for them, and they wonder, what is this new experience? Well, um, you know, take stock and, and start thinking about it. Is this in alignment with the principles of Scripture that I understand uh, as I read the Scripture? Uh, is, this, is this really reasonable? Um, does this show a pattern of how God has really behaved or how God has engaged with people? Is this in alignment with those things? And if it is, then embrace that experience, uh, certainly. I mean, um, we've seen many manifestations of this. Um, I, you know, I had a good friend who, on behalf of the Vineyard, who later became the head of the Vineyard, went to Toronto for the Toronto Blessing and was trying to navigate all of those dynamics of the experiences that were being manifested in very public ways. And he had the responsibility of trying to help that whole movement understand what is happening here. And frankly, one of the key ways that he did that was to appeal back to these multiple sources of truth. Mm -hmm. And it, in some respects, validated uh, some of those things. But in other things, it, it said, no, this is outside of the parameters of what we understand to be the pattern of God working in a reasonable way in transforming the lives of people aligned with the principles of Scripture. Those things working together are how we go about shaping our lives in a very dynamic and, and ongoing, growing way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what some people aren't going to like about this is that it's not black and white, <laughs> but it does protect us. It protects us from trying to discern what Scripture says by ourselves in our room without knowledge and understanding of what Christianity has been and will continue to be. And I see that a lot, you know, especially among young Christians, just in their room, um, looking at scripture, oh, this must mean this. And this protects us as we read scripture, as we try to get it integrated into our lives from the mistake of doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And of course, as I mentioned, kind of in the last last part of my remarks earlier, um, there is a big movement and a strong effort to try to say, you know, God has actually used creation as a way to express uh, and to reveal himself to us as well. And, and that's a dialogue that's ongoing. Well, the very dialogue of seeing creation as a way for seeing God and understanding God as another source of truth is itself a process of integrating these various sources of truth. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we've got to understand that Christian faith is dynamic. It's not static. God works with people throughout history in different ways. And we've got to always see our faith as dynamic. God is a living God. We are living dynamic people. And therefore, the relationship between the two is dynamic, but it's guarded by these these um, these perimeters or these parameters, rather, better word, <laughs> these parameters of living out our faith in a way that's consistent with the heart of God. But there's a lot more latitude here than I think a lot of people assume, and that's why we want to open up this whole understanding of pursuing truth and seeking truth to these various sources, always keeping Scripture in, in its appropriate role in the primacy of Scripture. Thanks.
It's a good conversation. And I, I can tell, you know, there's so many different uh, rabbit trails we can run down on this one. Mm-hmm. But um, th- hopefully next time we get together and chat, we'll talk about how we interpret because a lot of how we apply scripture is based on the interpretive ability or the interpretive role that we as believers have in living it out, right? So we'll get to that one when we talk about glasses that we wear. All right, sounds good, everybody. We'll see you next time. Let me encourage you that who you are is more important than what you do. The lure of defining yourself by your performance is stronger than you might think. So join me in upcoming weeks as we explore the whole leader God created you to be.